out of Oklahoma City. You're listening to the Good Trash Genre Cast, where movies are more than just 90 minutes in a bucket of popcorn. The Good Trash Genre Cast is a member of the Good Trash Media family. For more information, go to goodtrashmedia.com. They're talking about you, boy. Hello, everybody, and welcome again to the Good Trash Genre Cast, where a bunch of people gather around a table and we discuss the films that you will never discuss in a film studies course, except for this particular film, which is a Patreon pick from our Patreon sponsor, Austin Lakari, and we're going to be taking a look at 1966 Spaghetti Western Django. That's right, so we're going to take a look at this film and we're going to discuss it, but first we have to identify the voices that are going to be speaking to you about this film around this table. Ma'am, to my left, who are you? My name's Alexander Bohannon, and Django! Yes, indeed. Uh, sir, on the right there in the corner, who are you? My name is Dalton Stewart, and the D is not silent, Honky. That's from the other Django, but there's not a lot of great lines in this one like it, there is in that one. That's true. That'll work. Thank you very much. Uh, also, sir, my, to... my backup to keep going with Alex's was, have you always been alone? Sorry. <laughs> to my right, sir, who are you? Uh, my name's Caleb Masters, and uh, Dalton, I don't know what you're talking about. Now you've got to clean up this mess now. But don't touch my coffin. Oh, okay, I guess there are some ones. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that was the one. Thank you very much for that, Mr. Caleb Masters. My name is Dustin Sells, and I'm just glad to be here talking Django with you all. And so we got to warn you, dear listener, this is not a review show. It's an analysis show, and that means that we are going to spoil the film, um, sort of like I did during the live stream when I realized what was going on with a certain item. Um, I'll try not to do that. Um, Jamie Foxx was in the coffin the whole time. The whole time. Yeah, he was dead the whole time. That's why he sees dead people. And um, he had a sled, which is very strange. Uh, but he killed all those guys with it, so I guess it worked out. Moving. <laughs> so many movies. <laughs> Can I watch that movie? Yeah, and then, then, then it turned out Django was his father. It was very, very, very strange. <laughs> <laughs> so we will be spoiling this but not until after our synopsis from the voice to cinema and then our quick thumbs up thumbs down reviews once we get down to business though we will be spoiling the film all kinds you have been warned without any further ado therefore mr arthur gordon voice of the cinema let's hear that synopsis please a coffin dragging gunfighter and a half-breed prostitute become embroiled in a bitter struggle between two feuding factions a clan of southern racists, and a band of Mexican rebels. Thank you very That's much. That's right. It's definitely not <laughs> Fistful of Dollars or Yojimbo. <laughs> no, definitely, definitely not. Uh, or totally the same. So there you go, dear listener. Let's go ahead and begin with those quick thumbs up, thumbs down reviews in terms of our responses to the film. Mr. Caleb Masters, who watched this with the Twitch live stream with me. Go ahead and give us your quick review. And what? me too, asshat. Well, I was going to get to you when I was going to say <laughs> okay. that about yeah, you when yeah. I said you. Whatever. Dustin, good job. Inclusive. Inclusive. I was going to say you uh, were also Hashtag there. microaggressions. Just, oh, like this, just like this movie shit. full of Italians playing uh, all races. I want to thank everyone who came out to the live stream. I just want to throw that out there. We had a great time. We ate spaghetti and meatballs. Some of us partook in beverages that were great great it was a, a fun time was had uh, we had a great chat with uh, some of our patrons austin and keithan and brigham and a few a few other kind of other folks who hopped in to chat with us for a minute so a few minutes so i'm really excited that we had the opportunity to do that so thank you austin for contributing to patrons so we could do fun live stream i don't know about you guys i'd love to do more in the, the future um the movie though uh, on its own i mean i'm glad i watched this with you guys because holy crap this dubbing would have i it would have been it would have been a chore to sit through on my own this dubbing was so bad Massive distraction um, that it really—I mean, not to the point to the point where I—I I, it just I was constantly reminded that I was watching a really old movie that didn't know how to make movies very well, even for the time. Uh, I think there's some interesting ideas at work, but uh, I don't know how intentional those are. I, I, there's some themes I think we're all going to hit on in our analysis that are. Uh, I think I think the director's toying with. I don't know if he follows through with them, all any of them or all of them all the way. I don't know. I know Dustin's got some some thoughts on that. Uh, but ultimately, I felt like this is a, a movie that uh, falls on some pretty offensive uh, cultural issues of the time. There's a glorification of misogyny, brownface. There's a hint of uh, kind of a celebra uh, celebration of uh, classism, and uh, it just makes it really difficult to appreciate the film when it's it's doing all those things at the same time. Uh, 
I guess if you look at it as a B-movie western, it delivers a fun experience filled with some nonsensical action pieces where guys just fall over for no reason uh, and run into machine gun fire for no reason. Uh, so it's a lot of fun there. The dialogue's bad in a laughable sort of way, and the undeniably bad fun camera techniques are a blast. Uh, you know, the, the one where you just ultra zoom in. Ultra That's fast. awesome. Yeah, it's super fucking cool. Like, what, just finish what you have to say, fool. No, it, that's, it's, uh, it's fun. Uh, I think this is a... I don't know. This, this movie's not very good. Uh, you see it for... His, it's, it's, it's historical. You watch it for its historical importance. And uh, if you're a uh, diehard Tarantino fan who, wanna, who wants to get the references. But that's about the uh, best I can say for it. All right. Well, thank you for that, Mr. Caleb Masters. Mr. Dalton Stewart, set him straight. Uh, yeah, you're you're a dumb dumb. Uh, I mean, I'm not saying it's the best movie ever made, but um, it is so fucking well shot. I mean, the cinematography in this movie is gorgeous. Um, the handheld shit in, in that there, there's a fight scene in a bar about halfway through the movie that uses all handheld that is decades ahead of its time. I mean, it is it it could have been shot in 2005. Um, it, it is crazy and. The camera moves so beautifully that you never lose track of the action like you do in some of, you know, Paul Greengrass's stuff, who's kind of given a lot of credit for um, doing the the handheld stuff and fight scenes these days. But I mean, this this movie is decades ahead of its time. Uh, The second act is boring as fuck. I'm not going to pretend it isn't. Uh, When the banditos show up, the movie slows way down, way down for a really long time, and the plot becomes just kind of silly and uh, incomprehensible for a while. Uh, I also did fall asleep for a little bit um so that doesn't help uh this has the distinction of being the only movie we've done for the show that i fell asleep during uh but you know i being the did you go back and rewatch? yeah of course i did yeah no of course i did um but i did fall asleep uh and that's because the second act's really boring but uh that that first act's really cool uh the showdown in the graveyard is fucking awesome um and is just fantastic i mean i'm not gonna act like this movie doesn't have problems uh in terms of some of the things it portrays, as Caleb mentioned, uh, the misogyny. I don't think the the cross racial casting is a, is an issue. That's just because they shot in Italy. They cast who they had, and Italy is fortunate enough to have a lot of people who are dark and a lot of people who are uh, light skinned. Um, so you you've got Frank Nero playing an American and the general playing an American, uh, and you've got all these Italians playing Mexican bandits um, because Italy, if if nothing else, is uh, got a lot of well, skin colors. You know, there are there are banditos in this film that clearly are painted though like you can when it gets close to their face it's clear that their skin is not that color naturally i i didn't notice that but i'm not going to disagree with you because that wouldn't surprise me um you know and that's something that happens in a lot of spaghetti westerns is they are making films about a culture that they only have secondhand um, exposure to so there's going to be some troubling i will say uh the film you know, obviously is progressive racially because the bad guys are racists uh, and misogynists. So I don't think it's now, obviously the, the relationship between uh, Maria and Django is completely silly uh, and the stuff of sixties filmmaking. Um, So I'm not going to sit here and defend that because it's, I mean, it is what it is, but we've talked about this on the show before. I will say it again. If you're going to watch old movies, you're going to have to deal with some stuff that makes you uncomfortable sometimes. Um, when we watched uh, Crocodile Dundee, I found it less excusable than I did here. I don't know why. I don't really care to get into it at the moment. Uh, but what I will say is Caleb is not wrong uh, about you know the issues in terms of representations of peoples. Uh, but it is an incredibly well-shot movie. It's not particularly well-paced, but that's a problem with a lot of 60s westerns. There's, there's some great wide shots. I don't, I'm talking oh. about the movement of the camera. It drove I, me crazy. I, I enjoyed all that. Uh, man, those wide shots are good. They are. The final shot of this film is nothing short of amazing. I absolutely adore it. Um, and again, that bar fight, uh, the handheld shit in there is amazing. So take it for what it is. Um, you can definitely see the influences it's had, uh, both on its own uh, siblings in the spaghetti western genre, but also uh, in terms of the westerns we're making today and films we're making today. So I, I think it's something you got to see if you have an interest in, in, in filmmaking. There you go. Thank you very much for that, Mr. Dalton Stewart, Ms. Alexander Boannon, who also accompanied Caleb and I at the Twitch live stream. Oh, did I? Yes. I, I actually I, I don't remember because I was I was erased by the patriarchy. My bad. Yeah. <laughs> what do you think of this movie, Alex? I mean, it was it was fine. It's a product of its time. It's a western, which is not one of my favorite genres. They do exciting things, as Dalton and I'm sure Dustin is going to talk about. Um, I think it's a little bonkers oh uh, it's it's crazy it's silly it's very yeah, silly. it's like camp in a 
in in a Western way, which I didn't really know was possible or a thing. Um, I don't know. It's just I don't really plan on watching this movie again. I don't have any direct, deep, loving emotion towards this movie. I'm sure you know, more keen Western watchers would really appreciate seeing this. And that's probably why we get this pick from uh, Mr. Austin, our our loving patron. Um, but yeah, it's just not my cup of tea. I probably, because I don't speak this kind of uh, shorthand language that a lot of Westerns and spaghetti Westerns use, I probably missed out on a lot. And, you know, that's something that if I ever care to... I don't know, engage more in the Western genre, um, then I would probably pick up more after engaging in, you know, the high, the high, I don't know, high art Westerns, the, the cream of the crop, I'd probably be able to better understand this, uh, movie and what it, what it does and what it's not doing that Westerns do or don't do. But due to my inexperience with it, it just, it was, it was, it was fine. Um, I just don't have any strong feelings one way or another. All right. Thank you very much for that, Miss Alexander Bohannon. I have to say that when I went and watched it for the live stream at Caleb's house whilst eating spaghetti and meatballs um, and uh, garlic bread, which was all quite delicious. All tasty. Was, oh, very my gosh, tasty, Caleb, right? that was some bomb-ass spaghetti. It's just so good. Yeah, it was, it was super good and super fun. Know what I'm doing. Um, and we were doing the thing that we do on a live stream, which is talk a lot uh, while we watch the movie. And and so I missed quite a bit. And one of the things about uh, Italian overdub is that they very rarely have subtitles burned in um, that are available to you. Uh, because uh, Italian film, overwhelmingly from the 60s and 70s, was uh, re-recorded uh, after the fact for whatever language uh, would be necessary for their distribution. Well, and not always just. I mean, when they were making Italian films for uh, international distribution, they were doing a lot of ADR for their own films that released Correct. there. Correct. Yeah. Just, 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 yeah. just the, thing that they the did. way they did it, yeah. They didn't bring a lot of recording equipment on set. Uh, when they rec- when they made films, and it was just cheaper for them to do it in studio. Um, check out our show on Barbarian Sound Studio for more information on that. Yeah. Uh, but anyhow, uh, so that that yes, it is it is weird and it's wonky and it has all the problems that it has. But I do find it to be very very visually interesting. I think there's a whole lot of great posters uh, that you could just make out of prints of this film. Also, just the Quentin Tar- Tarantino reference school was uh, something that was fun for the watch. Uh, of the film. Now, I went ahead and rewatched it because I was not giving it quite the due it deserved. Um, so the next morning I got up early and watched the film. And then I realized, okay, visually it's a lot more interesting. Mm-hmm. And ideologically, I think, and I'm going to suggest later, it is saying more than I thought it was. Because I really thought, okay, of its time, kind of problematic Western uh, and whatnot. But it might be a little smarter than all that. And so as a result, I... Have gained appreciation for this film quite a bit. I did watch a little bit of Django, Kill Ellipsis. If you live, then shoot. Hey, <laughs> one of thirty unofficial sequels. Uh, one of thirty. This that, movie made so much fucking money when it came out. It killed. It has an adjusted gross of like a billion dollars. I'm not kidding. It's made a lot of money. Yeah, it's a big movie. Yeah, it did. Um, it did gangbusters in Italy. Um, and I don't know if it actually got a release in the West uh, when it first came out. Not till 1974. That's Initially, Dennis Hopper. No, not Dennis Hopper. Jack Nicholson tried very, very diff, uh, very, very hard to uh, get the rights himself. Yeah. And eventually, it, it, it was, was refused classification in the UK for decades because it was so. I mean, it is. It's still to this day pretty fucking violent. Um, but especially by 1966 standards, his, it was. His hands are just. Meatloaf by the end. It's yeah. just lot. really gross. It is really gross. It's a lot of spaghetti sauce, y'all. Um, but uh, nonetheless, <laughs> um, funny. I, I find the film to be a lot of fun and uh, a movie I like a lot and one that I would watch again. I watched it with my youngest son who also loved it. Sure, and, of course he did. And there's something going on there that's kind of awesome. So uh, more on that, Anon, dear listener. Um, I do want to point out that this is a Patreon pick from Austin Lucari. Again, thanks, Austin, for your patronage and support of the show. And you can find that. We have a new website for that. That is uh, www.patreon.com, or excuse me, yeah, Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash G-T-M. That stands for Good Trash Media, if you're wondering, uh, dear listener. But enough of this foolishness. I look at my watch and I realize it's time to play the game. Time to play the game. Time to play the game. 
So our game this week is inspired by our Twitch live stream in which we ate spaghetti whilst watching a spaghetti western. And so we're going to name our favorite food items to eat that accompany certain films. Uh, that's right. Favorite food items to eat while accompanying certain films brought to you by Django. Django. They call it a spaghetti western because they were made in Italy and they made it look like the American West. <laughs> Turned into a like an old man Smithers there at the end. Yeah. Good job. That was weird. That was weird. I don't know what happened with that. So, Mr. Dalton Stewart, without any further ado, and ado, what are your picks? This is a dumb game. I'm going to say Cuban sandwiches with the Godfather Part Two because, uh, uh, yeah, because uh, a lot of the movie takes place in Cuba uh, and has a lot to do with Cuba-U.S. relations, and we have uh, Cuban immigration to Florida and all the uh, Jewish-owned delis that were already in Florida, Florida to thank for the wonder that is the Cuban sandwich. It is the best sandwich ever made by man uh, or beast or woman or fowl or fish. It is fucking great. Uh, it's always been funny to me that uh, Jewish delis... Uh, being in uh, South Florida, were responsible for it because uh, lots of pork on those sandwiches. Uh, but uh, Cubans like their pork, and uh, they make a delicious fucking pressed sandwich. I love them. And uh, Godfather Part Two is also very dope. Um, next, uh, Candy Till You Can't Stand with Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. That's Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory starring Gene Wilder, not that Johnny Depp, Tim Burton nonsense. Those are my answers. Well, thank you very much for that, Mr. Dalton Stewart. Miss Alexander Bohannon, what are your selections? Because I know you are more fired up about this game. Okay, so one uh, piece of food that I always want to eat when watching a certain series of movies is I want to eat Cornettos, which are ice cream cones, uh, during mm. watching the Cornetto trilogy. Oh, that's good. And accompany them maybe with a beer if you're watching uh, The World's End, or all of it, because they go to the pub a lot. I also want to eat uh, cake anytime I watch a romantic comedy because there's gonna always be a wedding in it um i love cake especially wedding cake so bridesmaids you know uh, you watch 27 20, dresses i was just gonna say if you watch 27 dresses that's a whole lot of mm, cake i love that's cake. that's 27 weddings oh, worth of cake so so much good cake uh, i also i also am known for eating weird stuff so yes, be yes you are <laughs> Yes, you are. That's so true. <laughs> I always out. feel bad whenever I have to cook for someone besides myself um, because I'm just like, well, even if I mess it up, I'll totally eat it anyway. Um, anyway, I would definitely try that abomination Will Ferrell makes at the beginning of Elf, that spaghetti oh, M&M. Uh, I would totally eat that. That sounds amazing. They make chocolate pasta. Did you guys know that? Uh, yes. And that's and it's insanely good. Oh my gosh! Oh, I would just try it. I'm not a big fan of maple syrup, but the rest of it sounds fine. Um, anyway, and then last but not least, and I totally see the theme here. <laughs> it's all dessert. I would totally eat Reese's Pieces because ET. Good answer. Phone home. Nice, nicely played. Thank you very much for that, Miss Alexander Bohan and Mister Caleb Masters. What are your selections? Yeah, you know I. For, it's kind of funny that the first first uh, picks that came to mind were all like childhood movies that I watched as a kid. So uh, you know, Dalton already said Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, but I'm gonna eat something different. I'm gonna eat blueberries while watching Willy Wonka and That's the good. Chocolate That's Factory. Uh, you know, especially in in, in uh, memoriam of what's her name that gets blown up with her blueberry gum. Veruca Salt, man. That's right. Wait, nope, no different kid. No, nope. that's kid. the rich kid. Yep, other girl. Yep, I fucked up. So I also want to eat green eggs and ham while watching the animated Grinch because there's not a proper green eggs and ham like film. Uh, so I'm gonna watch. I'm gonna I'm gonna eat green eggs and ham with the Grinch because that's the one I watch almost every year. And you gotta have some eggs. You can put some food coloring in there. And who doesn't like ham? I mean, come on, especially at Christmas time. Uh, and lastly, I'm also gonna have chocolate cake while I watch Matilda. That's good. <laughs> nice. All the chocolate good. cake. You know, I actually forgot uh, as much. I, I don't eat while I watch movies a lot, uh, but I realize every, like, literally almost every time I watch Reservoir Dogs, uh, if I'm watching it other than by myself, I try you to eat get a human ear. No, I try to get somebody to go eat breakfast with me afterwards, uh, like, regardless of what time it is. So, well, speaking of breakfast, that is one of my selections. Um, you know of my fandom of the Great David Lynch universe. No, I do. And when I watch Twin Peaks Firewalk with me. Can't have a cup of coffee, my I've man. Got a cup of coffee, slice of cherry pie, and perhaps you know, there's a wonderful thing that when maple syrup collides with ham, it's mm-hmm. mm. okay. That's where I, I I will let maple syrup pass for for ham. 
Sounds good. Yeah, so yeah. I'm I'm all over that all the time. And I'm I also like weird things. I'm a guy that actually likes liver and onions. And, you oh, know, it's good. And it goes well with fava beans and a nice can tea when you watch <laughs> Silence of the Lambs. <laughs> <Which And>, fucking <laughs> weirdo. <laughs> I totally eat all of that with you. <laughs> Not like that. You can't eat it that way, old man. That's yeah. the only way he'll. You know, that's the only way he's. That's going the only way. Him. <laughs> that's the only way Anthony Hopkins eats anything. No, I know, but I'm talking about this old man. <laughs> no, I'm or not. that old man. Whatever. I'm Whichever keep doing one it. is making it that not, abomination of a noise. It was Dalton, not me. Okay. Yeah, you don't. You don't have our voice recognition when they do sound effects. <laughs> uh, the foley must stop. Uh, moving right along. Um, I, <laughs> I am also going to select uh, just a spaghetti sauce with uh, with spaghetti uh, when I watch uh, gangster movies. Um, I make a combination of the Godfather Goodfellas uh, sauce recipes, and uh, I love to do that. You know, you get your meat here, you get a quarter cup of sugar, you get a couple glugs of wine in here, and then you cut up the uh, garlic with a razor blade so that it, you know it'll liquefy when you fry it in the pan. And you put that all together, let it go about a, I don't know half a day or so. Make sure you always stir the sauce and keep an eye out for the helicopter, and then. It's delicious. Always make sure it's easy to flush your dope. <laughs> also accurate. Well, there you go, dear listener. I am curious to hear what the interwebs have to say uh, regarding this gameplay. Um, your favorite movie-inspired foods and foods to eat whilst watching certain films or perhaps types of film. We'll hear more of that, I'm sure, from you all later. Uh, you can do that via those magical means of social media, and we'll talk about that here in a bit. But before all of that, guys, I think it's time to get down to business. <laughs> I know what you're trying to say. It's time for business, and that business is analysis, and we are so excited to be doing uh, just that. You know, analysis isn't part of the foreplay, but it's very, very important. And so we're going to bring some right here or right now to this particular film. I'm going to go to you first, Mr. Caleb Masters. What analysis do you bring to the film, Django? Well, I think this film is uh, having a conversation, or or maybe reflecting on the arms race, the America's vision of the arms race, or in the way I read it was uh, the way America sees itself in the context of the arms race. So, of course, your main guy, the the cowboy, is the American, right? So, Django is your is American. Uh, he passes through the town. He does good. He cleans it up, and then he leaves and goes on to the next country to invade and inhabit. I mean, uh, he goes on to the next town. You know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, definitely, because he doesn't like to occupy those towns very long, uh, apparently. Uh, th- again, how America sees itself. Yeah, it, you know, and in fact, you could even say the ground is an intractable quagmire, couldn't you? <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> Uh, so uh, here's how I kind of I was looking at the film, uh, you know, looking in the context, uh, looking at through the lens of the arms race. Uh, 1966 was when we were knee deep uh, Vietnam era. Uh, there was a huge culture war divided between protesters, pro and anti-war. Uh, the nuclear bomb was on everyone's mind, kind of uh, you know, in the in the back of your mind, you're thinking about war, you're thinking about the Russians are going to come and kill us. Uh, this is post. Was it, was say, this is just two years after 64 when we saw the release of both Doctor Strangelove and Failsafe. Exactly. So very much a, a bit of a popular... It, it exists in the popular mindset. Oh, duck uh, and cover. Duck and cover, man. Oh, have you ever watched that? Oh my god, it's, it's brilliant. Um, but anyway, so Django America is a do-gooder who's passing through town to town, uh, country to country, and he, he doesn't really necessarily believe in excessive force, but he'll stick up for the stick up for the lady. He'll stick up for the innocent. Uh, so uh, Django, in the context of this film, he's uh, he, he can't keep to himself. Doesn't say a lot. He passes through until the big bad starts taunting him. That's uh, Major Jackson. You know the man who leads the clan of red hooded Mexican slaughtering gang members. Definitely not the KKK or the Russians. <laughs> oh shit! Red. They red. Oh man! Yeah. Woo. That's what spurred this entire reading on. I was like, oh my god, they're all wearing red <laughs> in 1966 Russia. But then it makes sense because Django is sitting on the, the most powerful weapon. He he he's, he's on the death machine. The way he wins the he wins he wins. He's got a machine gun in an era where machine guns shouldn't exist. Um, so in the film, he runs the Russians out of the town with his machine gun. He kills most of them, except for you know the, 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 the big bad guys. And then you get the banditos who come in, and initially you're like, oh, we're all friends. And then we realize they're really brutal. Oh, snap, now we're talking about Vietnam. Now the Vietnamese people are the banditos. Now we've got to take care of the banditos. 
Uh, now we've got these, these these kind of people we thought might be our friends that are actually more monstrous or as monstrous as the the Reds, right? Uh, so again, this this is this is uh, America kind of intrinsically looking at uh, it, its role in Vietnam and kind of justifying its means. Oh well, we're the good guy. We actually came to help. But now we just have to clean up both messes. Well, we killed the bad. We got rid of the bad guys, but now we have new bad guys to, to fight. So we've got to get clean the town up. And ultimately. Uh, the film just kind of concludes, uh, you know, after he's lost his machine gun, he's lo- used the nuke, or he's used the nuke and slaughtered all those poor innocent people or not so innocent banditos who ran straight into the gunfire. Did you guys notice that? They yeah. literally ran into the gunfire. No, I did. I did. <laughs> that's, that's bad blocking. Uh, but then, of course, he, he gets beaten, he gets decrepit, and he goes back to the, the, the graveyard, which was a really cool scene. I really liked that, because I was kind of curious. I was like, how exactly is he going to get out of this with his, you know... It was so fucking his tri- cool. His, uh, his, trigger, his trigger fingers are both smashed, so how is he going to get out of it? But, of course, you know, does the classic revolver move. And I wonder, and I, need to, I should probably look into this, was that the first time someone had done that in the film with the... No. It's called fanning, and no, it, it, I mean, it's super common. It's, it's yeah. been around since, like, the... Well, since the 1880s, when people first were started doing it. Oh, I think yeah, Tom Miggs movies is yeah. <clears throat> yeah, I, I think back. in the well, fuck, uh, Have Gun Will Travel. I'm pretty sure did it, mm-hmm. and that was like a 40s show. But yeah, I mean, it's it looks. There's a reason people keep doing the movies because right. it looks super cool. Well, it looks super cool, and I will say that like I might have been a little had I been more well versed in Western lore and like what what kind of things are done, I wouldn't have been as surprised to how he got out of it because I was a little like I don't know how he's gonna get out of this. He can't pull the trigger. I don't I don't know. So I was really surprised. But either way, the the analysis concludes basically. Uh, he does kill the Russians or uh, the Reds. Uh, the banditos are a non threat. And guess what? He leaves the decaying town to rot and decay while he goes off and fights good somewhere else. So those those uh, those lazy uh, the, 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 whoever's left in that town, if anyone's left, uh, have you know they can work hard and, and clean it up themselves. We'll go take care of other messes. Thank you very much for that reading, Mr. Caleb Masters. Ms. Alexander Bohannon, what analysis do you bring? Well, I thought that for my analysis because. I know that there is a major um, thing at play. The reason why we watch this film um, is because uh, Quentin Tarantino takes ma- massive inspiration from this picture. I mean, to so much so that then film Django Unchained has Django in the title of it um, and is also a Western. Well, and Frank Nero shows up briefly. Exactly. Yeah, I mean. So I thought that due to. Um, I mean, I've seen a lot of Tarantino films, but I haven't seen all of them. So I thought that we could maybe open up a, a small discussion about Tarantino um, taking his influence from this film in particular. Because I did catch the Reservoir Dogs uh, ear bite off um, mm-hmm. sequence. And then, you know, we have the the coffin and, and uh, the machine gun. Wasn't that in... I thought that was in something else. Nope. See, that's see, that's why I can't. That's why I can't do this by myself, even though I want to well, talk there, about it. There was also, I mean, it's the costume of the of the of Django. Django, mm-hmm. yeah. Which we see. Uh, which I, uh, I mean, I guess he Django, puts on the back of Sam Jackson. In, yeah, exactly. In, in in, in Hateful I was Eight. just about yeah, to say. say. Now, it wasn't actually Django and Django and Chain did not wear that costume. Yeah. But Hateful Eight. Well, oh yeah, and then the wooden spoon bit. Um, oh, eating yeah. the yeah. soup. Well, he's got the, he's got big his ass spoon. His, uh, his yeah. cap down. He's yeah munching on. But yeah, he's he's wearing the the garb of a. A Union uh, soldier, circa 1860, and that's what Sam Jackson's wearing because he's also a former Union soldier. Uh, and you know the the influence doesn't stop with Django Unchained. I mean, the whole bit of all of Hateful Eight is about uh, continued tensions uh, racially and politically between the North and the South following the Civil War. And in this, the opening of this movie is like, oh, we don't care much for people who fought for the North. I mean, that that's transplanted in Hateful Eight in a big way um, and makes up a lot of the conflict in that film. And though we discover what's in the coffin, it is very much like the briefcase exactly. of Pulp It's Fiction. treated very much like that, yeah, for the first 15, 20 minutes of the movie. Right. Yeah, I just wanted us to kind of touch on these elements because I think it's important to acknowledge um, kind of uh, formalistic um, influences that modern directors take from these these pictures and why, well, even though this film or even the Western genre might not be your cup of tea. You might be surprised at what influences, uh, you know, a pick like this would have on a director that has made things. Most of his work is not Westerns. So that's just my kind of two cents on, uh, 
Quentin Tarantino as a part of Django. And thanks for teaming up with me on that one, chaps. No, no problem. Thank you very much for that analysis, Miss Alexander Bohannon. Mr. Dalton Stewart, what analysis do you bring to the table? Well, uh, Django sits in a really interesting place in, in the history of the Western um, and, and really in, in the history of action cinema. And we're, we're going to go ahead and, for the purposes of this conversation, uh, Con- conflate uh, westerns uh, with action films. Not all uh, action movies are westerns, and all westerns are action movies, uh, but it's a pretty big uh, Venn diagram. So, again, for the purposes of this discussion, I'm going to go ahead and include them in the same pot, although I am fully aware there are plenty of westerns that are not really action movies. A lot of times it's just dudes riding on horses and talking. Um, but there's something very ha- interesting that happens uh, in the mid-1960s with uh, the western genre, and it becomes a much different animal than it was previously. Um, I, I think probably the the most transgressive, or um, yeah, let's go with transgressive for for lack of a better word. Yeah. Uh, Western uh, prior to the sixties is probably this John Ford's The Searchers, which is what Dustin nineteen fifty eight. Uh, four, I think. Maybe eight. I, I, it's mid mid to late fifties, yeah. uh, and that's the probably the most political western until we get to the nineteen sixties. And in the nineteen sixties and seventies, there is not a more fucking uh, political genre than the western. For the record, we split the difference. It's nineteen fifty six. There you go. We did split the difference. Uh, I, but westerns go from being very much escapist fare uh, in, in the twenties, thirties, forties, and fifties, uh, and even the early part of the sixties, uh, and by the start of spaghetti westerns in uh, 1962 uh, 64 I should 62 64 uh, with uh, fistful of dollars um, they start to become much more violent much more um, murky uh, morally speaking um, the good guys do not long uh, any longer wear white hats in westerns um, and Dustin's going to talk a little bit uh, about this uh, I believe uh, what I'm specifically kind of passingly making reference to is the revisionist western mm-hmm. uh, which are these westerns that really kind of upend what we think westerns are supposed to be about uh, and that's because for 50 years um, westerns were the uh, superhero movies of their time uh, and like superhero films westerns are were products of their time they're, they're not so much about the west they're not so much about superheroes they're about our society at the time they are made. I mean, you look at uh, every superhero film pre-9-11 and post-9-11, you see a pretty big fucking split in terms of themes and in terms of the portrayal of morality and the portrayal of acts of mass violence. Um, And it's pretty shocking. I mean, especially if you watch something like um, 89 Batman back-to-back with even Batman Begins or Spider-Man 2. I mean, it's just completely different uh, the way mass violence is treated uh, because we have seen a monstrous psychic shift uh, in our society. Um, With the 1960s, with the Spaghetti Westerns, uh, Clint Eastwood's The Man with No Name and Django and um, even um, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid to a lesser extent, we start to see um, Western heroes that are very different. And again, with Butch and Sundance, they're kind of a little bit more in line with your classic Western hero, uh, but uh, they are much more capable. They are much more uh, violence-prone. Um, they are bad guys. Butch and Sundance are are villains. They are uh, bandits. They are thieves. Um, and they're the heroes of their film. Uh, you don't see that prior to the 1960s. Uh, the Man with No Name is a bounty hunter. Um, Django is a mercenary. We don't really get a feel for him. What they have in common, though, specifically Django, the man with no name, is they are silent for most of their films. They are quick to action, and there is a violence of action that is unmatched in westerns of the 40s and 50s. We see uh, men that are capable and quick to use force, and I think a large part of that has to do with what we are experiencing, and again, to circle back to you know, talking about these psychic shifts in the culture, what we're seeing is a reaction to uh, the 50s and 60s, where the world has gotten much more troubling and a lot harder to understand. There is no looming threat of fascism that is unequivocally evil um, and uh, just in its political ideology is troubling and not good, uh, where we have the shift to communism, which, uh, while in the way it was uh, you know, carried out by the USSR and just Stalin was quite evil, um, ideologically speaking, has much more solid ground to stand on. Uh, I'm not trying to uh, be a rabble-rouser or anything. I think that's, I mean, if you look at the tenets of fascism next to the tenets of communism, uh, one is clearly worse um, and, and meaner. Uh, 
Um, so what we're dealing with in the 1960s is, again, we're in the midst of the Cold War, which, you know, you can say, well, this is an Italian film. <laughs> Italy was fucking embroiled in the Cold War, buddy. Uh, the U.S. Army had plenty of, U.S. military had plenty of uh, bases uh, stationed there. There were uh, nukes all over Europe that we had uh, direct or indirect control of. Uh, so what's interesting to me about this shift in the way we portray our heroes is um, there's a violence that is seems to be reactionary uh, towards a society, towards a culture that knows it cannot react with violence because a violent reaction could very well lead to the end of the world. Um, so there, there's, uh, again, uh, an overreaction towards, I think, a feeling of impotence uh, when it comes to the ability to carry out violence as a way to get what you want. Uh, and I, again, I just think that's very fascinating because this is the character we have to this day. I mean, when you think of the Western, you think of Clint Eastwood. You don't think of John Wayne anymore, I think. Um, again, John Wayne's films are still a lot of them very good, uh, and he has a big uh, slice of the uh, popular consciousness. But if I told you to think of a cowboy, you probably pictured a poncho before you pictured a white hat. Uh, and, and I think a large part of that has to do with the reaction. Again, uh, Caleb mentioned, I mean, Vietnam is fucking getting ready to go when this movie comes out. Um, this Cold War is on, and people are making films that are uh, a reaction to this, I think. And that's how we ended up with these characters that are much more violent, much more ready to fuck people up in a bad way. Um, so there you go. Um I know that kind of meandered around a little bit, uh, but the point was that Westerns are were uh, the superhero films of their day, and if you look at what we consider to be badass and heroic, uh, it can tell you a lot about where our culture is when uh, the, at the time when a film was made. Absolutely, absolutely. Thank you very much for that, Mr. Dalton Stewart. I do want to talk about this film um, because I do want to suggest that it may be smarter than it lets on. We do this thing sometimes when we watch films, especially American films uh, from the 50s and uh, the, the times period um, before that time, times period, the time periods before that. I'm pluralizing in strange ways today, apparently. And uh, we talk about, again, the films that are products of their time. And the Western is definitely an example of that. There is uh, something going on throughout Western, which is the mythology of Americana, of westward expansion, of manifest destiny, of the extermination of Native Americans. Go ahead. I was just going to say, uh, there is much less uh, moral murkiness Yes, there in are, those 50s films. Yeah, I mean, as Dalton said, white hats and black hats. You know the good guys, you know the bad guys. Early John Wayne films uh, definitely demonstrate that, but they're also problematic in ways. You know, there's a moment in McClintic when uh, he bends Maureen O'Hara over mm-hmm. his knee to spank her, you know, because she's not been good. And it's troubling and problematic. Uh, there are some Katie Hepburn uh, films he's done uh, in which uh, she is a bit more of a spitfire and gets a bit more even ground uh, with him, but overwhelmingly, uh, these films um, are troubling in ways. The Searchers does say some strange and interesting things about uh, inter- interracial marriage and, uh, and much the, more complicated and nuanced things yeah, going on. It, it does, but yet there's still just bits of it that are just they're they're just kind of problematic treatment of Native Americans, yeah. and se- et cetera, so on and so forth, and that they are just again part of the times, you know, older generation taking on a younger generation and sort of a regressive in those ways. This film has got uh, racism. It's got misogyny. It's got mm-hmm. all of those things going in it. But what it's doing other than and different from what we see in the standard American films, and even more so, I think, than what we see in Sergio Leone's Dollars Trilogy, is he, um, uh, Sergio Carbucci, is demonstrating these things in their terrible, awful, horrible ugliness that that are definitely reminiscent of the time of mm-hmm. the late 1870s, I would guess. Yeah, it's it's late uh, 1860s or early 1870s. We don't really get a firm time period. Yeah, and really the time is, isn't all After that. After the Civil War. Right. And also of what's going on in America in the 1960s. Mm-hmm. And what it's doing is presenting a misogyny, racism, uh, violence, and abuse in its horror, awful um, terribleness. It is representing those things in a way that it's supposed to be appalling, that you are supposed to be appalled. There is a line um, in which um, I forget the name of um, our prostitute that is rescued by Jenga. Maria. Maria. When she's having a conversation with the chief bandito, not Eli Wallach. Uh, yeah, definitely not Eli Wallach, yeah. <laughs> but totally Eli Wallach. They totally wanted Eli Wallach for that <laughs> character. 
And when she has this conversation, and he says, you're nothing but a woman, you're just my property. And she's like, but yeah, that's exactly how you think. And there's this moment where you're saying, oh, wait a minute, there are women who are treated this way still. There are um, people of color who are being um, systematically tortured and executed in the United States. This is 1966. Yeah, we're, we're in the midst of the uh, civil rights movement, both for African Americans and for women uh, in the mid-1960s. Shit is on. Yeah. Absolutely. And what Carbucci is doing is he is sticking a thumb in the eye of America. We're going to take your mythology that lionizes um, everything that you say is good and well and wonderful about your country, and we're going to show just the, the utter horror that you guys are portraying in the world right now. And we're going to do that in a way, uh, again, it's, 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 it's just a thumb in the eyeball. I think a lot of that might have to do with the fact that, you know, a scant 20 years earlier, Italy had seen the very fucking worst of nationalism. I mean, yeah, yeah it's the birthplace of fascism. Mussolini hadn't been that long dead at this point. People and people forget fascism was Mussolini's deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, he started it, yeah, uh, and that then spread over Europe. And so uh, this, the film then becomes, and again, you see some of this in the Dollars trilogy because it is a bit more murky, it's a bit more ambiguous. But what's great about Carbucci, and later on he would go on to make several more films, um, there's actually a subgenre within the Spaghetti Western, the Zapata films, which are these sort of Mexican revolutionary films uh, that he is a, a director for, uh, that, that he is actually really, really politically engaged as a filmmaker. And as a result, he is saying, you know, you know shove it, America, and shove it with your genre well there's uh, so much more engagement with uh, the the relationship between uh, the frontier of the American Southwest and uh, Mexico in, in those spaghetti western films now obviously there have been American films since then uh, since the 60s that have dealt more with that but the dollars trilogies uh, the dollars trilogy and Django which I can't speak to any other spaghetti westerns because those are the four that I've seen um, deal a lot more with what's going on on the border uh, in America in the 1870s. Um, American Westerns of the time were not ready to talk about it because we were bad. People like to lionize the Alamo. Uh, Texas wanted to declare independence from Mexico so they could keep slaves because Mexico was outlawing slavery. Uh, gee, there is some moral fuckery happening uh, on in Mexico, Arizona, New Mexico, California, uh, right around 1870, 1880. Yeah, absolutely. And and so what the film does then is that we have these two major groups and we have one that are, you know, brown people. They are the Mexican banditos and we have, you know, white people and they're both pretty terrible groups of mm-hmm. people because they are people, men with power and with guns and they're using their power and their guns to get more power and more guns that this is something systemically problematic with uh white american imperialism and again i i think the film is uh brilliant in the way that it, it it's brilliant in the way that it takes it on where it gets messy and a little bit murky i think is because of carbucci's just anger that this is the this is the film of a furious man um, that this is a man who is uh, seeing all of these films and sort of likes their action and wants to do something very stylish and, and you know sort of you know uh, play around with the tropes of a genre but he's also very angry politically and so um, there's really um, almost this acid burn of anger that that underlies is seething under the surface of the film and that again sort of makes it a little messy maybe at times a little bit murky because as you might hear sometimes in political speech uh, the angrier a person gets their sincerity is definitely present and their their rightness may be also there but their articulation sometimes may be a little lacking oh, i was just shaking my head because i agree with you absolutely I, I you and i have both done that on the show more times than i can count uh, it's very easy to uh, lose sight of what the fuck you're talking about when you get a little riled up yeah and I, I think that's part of the you know if there is a failing in the film i think that's where it is and it gets more in focus uh later with these zapata films uh that carbucci would direct afterwards so i do direct the dear listener to check those out but enough said about this and this analysis dear listener we'd love to hear what you have to say about what we've said we'll give you an opportunity here at the end of the show but before we do that we have to render a verdict shell for trash else or instead i shall go around the table oh i don't know clockwise so i go to you first miss alexandra bohannon what do you say show for trash and then what are your else's or instead's this film is probably required viewing for uh tarantino fans i would say that i'm a tarantino fan and that it is required for me i've seen it i don't really feel compelled to watch it again um if you don't like westerns and you don't like tarantino you don't need to see this movie i mean it's a easy trasher for if you don't like 
any of those things. Um, if you want to go see more films of a similar uh, flavor, uh, theme, uh, definitely Tarantino's entire oeuvre. Uh, that's very clear and obvious. Um, and probably the... I've keep in mind, I haven't seen very many West Westerns, but I have seen True Grit and that is a really good Western. So you should also also watch that. Uh, specify the remake or the original. I've only seen the remake, but I'm sure the original is just as good. They are both quite good. Yeah. So go see both. Excellent. Thank you very much for that. Miss Alexander Bohan and Mr. Dalton Stewart. What do you say? Show for trash else or instead? I'm going to agree with Alex, actually. Um, if you're not a Western fan or a Tarantino fan, I, I, I can see this not really being your, your flavor uh, of the week. But uh, I, I think it's very, very good. And I think you should watch it if you have an interest in Westerns and Tarantino. Uh, so, Shelf, uh, to pair with it, I'm going to recommend some of my favorite Westerns. Uh, all of them fitting in with what this thing is doing. Uh, my, my favorite, without a doubt, Clint Eastwood Western, The Outlaw Josie Wales. Uh, which is also probably one of my favorite revisionist westerns. Uh, another Clint Eastwood joint, uh, Two Mules for Sister Sarah, which is an underseen gym and is so fucking good. Uh, and also <laughs> and Shirley MacLaine. Shirley MacLaine so MacLean good in that movie. Uh, and also deals with uh, Mexican-American relations in the Old West. Uh, and uh, two more uh, recent westerns, uh, Open Range with Kevin Costner, which is a much more straightforward, uh, it's not really particularly revisionist. It is very much a white hats, black hats uh, cowboy movie, but it's real fucking good. Uh, and finally, the remake of 310 to Yuma, uh, which has one of my favorite lines of all time, uh, even bad men love their mamas, mm, which uh, I think is a, uh, such a good line. Kurt Russell is so good in that movie. Ben Foster is amazing as like the quick draw, like angel, evil angel of death in that movie. Yeah, absolutely. Good pick. I like that very much, Mr. Dalton Sir. Mr. Caleb Masters, I couldn't say your name for some reason. Show for trash, else or instead. I'm going to agree with uh, Dalton, actually. 310 to Yuma. I, I, I almost forgot about that movie. That movie's a really damn good movie. That's yeah. a really, really great modern Western. I, I, an era where there's not really that many great no. modern Westerns. You get one, probably one every other year. Um, I've never seen the original, but man, I really like 310 uh, to Yuma. The original's not not, not good. Okay, good yeah, to know. Yeah, no, go watch the, do not watch the original, watch the remakes. It's, it's yeah, night and difference uh, on that um but uh, i'll go ahead and wrinkling his nose at you i disagree but go on mm. that's I... a debate for another time i'm sure we'll have another western show one day dustin one day uh i'll go ahead and uh, recommend you need i well i i i say trash it uh else i'm gonna recommend Django unchained go watch uh the remake that's a movie uh that is really good and i feel like is is a lot more it's up it's it's got a lot more it's got more teeth to it, and it's more direct in its messaging. Obviously, slavery being the the, the prime issue at hand. Um, also, uh, another Western I really, really, really like a lot is uh, Unforgiven, which is also a Clint Eastwood film. Um, really good fucking movie, it, great movie. And again, that's it's by, that was by the point in his career where he had done. He was doing like he, he was almost sat, sat not satirizing, criticizing the Western that started his career. Well, anyway, just really interesting stuff going on there for. Uh, uh, Eastwood fans. And lastly, I have to give, uh, with, to pair with my reading, and to give a shout out to patron Austin Lucari. Another movie he's been hounding me to watch for years and years and years that I watched last year for the first time was Dr. Strangelove. Uh, if you're gonna, if you're going to look at the Cold War era film, that's like the definitive one to watch. And it's actually quite funny. I quite enjoy that movie a lot. Uh, so, also one of Lucari's favorites. Uh, but yeah, that's about all I got, Dustin. All right, well, thank you very much for that, Mr. Caleb Masters. I am going to say shelf, but yeah, I think it's worth seeing. Um, if you're into the Tarantino influences and references, take a look at Foxy Brown. Take a look at any Shaw Brothers um, kung fu film from Hong Kong, and uh, you will be quite Tarantino prepared uh, as, as far as influences on his filmmaking and filmmaking style. Um, in addition, in terms of westerns of the revisionist fancy and whatnot. I'm going to recommend two recent films. Uh, one is a Coen Brothers film, and that is No Country for Old Men, which is a 1980s western, which is also a meditation on violence and the use thereof. And also Tommy Lee Jones' directorial film, uh, The Three Burials of Melchiodas Estrada. Uh, it is really, really good and well worth your time. So there you go, dear listener. Let's talk about how you can be part of the conversation via those magical means we all know as social media. Miss Alexander Bohannon, what do you know about that stuff? Sure thing. You can find our website, which includes articles, podcasts, and various and, un and sundry other items at goodtrashmedia.com. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash goodtrashmedia. And you can also find us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash GTM. 
Thank you very much for that. Mr. Dalton Stewart, there's yet another social media means by which your conversation could be held. Do you know something about that? I do. As a matter of fact, Dustin, you can find Good Trash Media on Twitter at good underscore trash. That's G-O-O-D underscore T-R-A-S-H, good underscore trash. Uh, we do lots of stuff on there. Um, Alex, Caleb, and myself uh, take turns uh, keeping people abreast uh, of the content that is coming out from Good Trash Media, um, uh, spreading the news. Usually we're just retweeting news that we saw. Uh, we don't have the time to do that. Um, but yeah, you can follow us there. We, we try to keep the content coming and keep it interesting. Excellent, excellent. Thank you much for that. So, dear listener, take a look at this film, Django, and tell us what you thought, and give us feedback via those social media means, and get ready for next week's film. We're going superheroes. We're going 21st century superheroes. We're going Captain America, the Winter Soldier. That is the next film, and we're very, very excited to be talking about that, because talking about films is what makes us excited, because the movies are so much more than 90, or, you know, two hours and 30 minutes or seven hours and 85 minutes or whatever you want to talk about when you're talking about a superhero movie and it's terrible, terrible length. But I digress more (laughs) on that. Anon. But when you watch that film and you have a conversation, that's what really makes watching the movies worthwhile. So do that and we will see you all next time. The Good Trash Genre Cast is produced and edited by Arthur Gordon. Direction by Dustin Sells. Social media by Alexandra Bohannon, Caleb Masters, and Dalton Stewart. Our intro and outro is Night Call by Kavinsky and Lovebox. We are also proud to feature music from Deer Kick this week on the program. For more information on this episode of the Good Trash Genre Cast, as well as the rest of the Good Trash Media family, please visit goodtrashmedia.com. me